Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. How are you feeling today? <laughs> As announced uh, a couple of times, today is Water Baptism Sunday, and in just a few minutes we're going to dunk a bunch of people into the waters of baptism. I think we have 20 or so people that are going to be baptized. We're excited about it. Uh, we fully believe that this is going to be a life-changing day for all of these uh, people sitting over here, so uh, they would in- encourage and welcome your prayers throughout the service. But before we get to the water baptism, there is a very interesting and familiar story found in the Gospel of Luke. And incidentally, Luke is the only one of the four Gospel writers to record it. And the story I'm referencing now happened on Resurrection Sunday, the very first Easter, what we just celebrated a couple of weeks ago, and it involved two disciples of Jesus. Now, these two disciples were not members of the original 12, but keep in mind at that time that Jesus had about 500 disciples, we're told fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. One of the disciples is named, uh, his name is Cleopas, the other one is not. And these two disciples, on Resurrection Sunday, the very first Easter, they decided that with regard to Christianity, they had enough. They couldn't handle any more disappointment. They couldn't take anything else that was happening. And they were done. Now, keep in mind that they were in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover, like thousands of other Jewish people that had come. And during the Passover celebration, they watched in complete horror as their savior, their rabbi and master, was arrested, condemned, and then crucified by the Romans. They stood there in absolute disbelief and shock as Jesus hung on the cross and died. And when he died, when Jesus died, so did all of their hopes and all of their dreams. And so they packed their bags and they headed west. Their plan was to go to a little village, a little town, about seven miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. It was called Emmaus. And on their way to that little town, they were down in the dumps and as low as they could possibly go. And if you can believe that, somewhere along the way on their road trip, a resurrected Jesus joined their little two-man pity party. He just walked right up on them and joined in the conversation. And the scripture tells us in this story in Luke that even though these two disciples had been following Jesus for three years, even though they were fully committed to him, they listened to his sermons, they, they watched the miracles, they were impressed with everything that he did, they didn't know it was him. These two disciples didn't recognize that it was Jesus in their midst. And they weren't the only ones. 
Earlier that day, on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. In fact, Mary Magdalene was the first one to see Jesus following his resurrection. And she didn't know it was him. Mary Magdalene, sharp gal, she didn't know it was Jesus. Then a little bit later on that same evening, still on Easter, when all the disciples were gathered together, they were hiding out in the upper room. Everybody was there except for Thomas. Mary was probably there. Uh, the disciples, uh, the, the other women that were following Jesus, Simon, Peter, James, and John, you know, the top three guys. Jesus walked right through the bar doors, stood in front of them, and they didn't know it was Jesus. And finally, we're told in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 21, that after a very frustrated Simon Peter decided he was going to quit the ministry and go back to fishing, he took all the guys fishing, and they fished all night and caught nothing, making their way back to the shore, and there's a figure of a man on the beach grilling up a few tilapia, you know, he had some whitefish, you know, on the grill. And Jesus said to them, you know what? Throw the net on the right side of the boat. Obviously, you've been fishing on the wrong side all night. And when they heard Jesus, they saw Jesus, they didn't know it was him. On at least four different occasions, Jesus appeared to his disciples following his resurrection, and they failed to connect the dots. And when I read that in the Bible, when I read those stories and accounts, I'm compelled to ask the question, why? Why didn't they recognize him? Why didn't they at least sense in their hearts that this was Jesus? I mean, did he look different physically? Did he come out of the tomb and decide, I, I think I'm going to change my hairstyle? I mean, we're told in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied and said that he was crushed and he was wounded and bruised for our iniquities. We know he took a tremendous beating. We, we know that the soldiers mistreated him, but I mean, it's been three days. Uh, his, his, his weight and height had to be about the same. I'm thinking his voice was the same. So what was it? How could these disciples who were so committed and so devoted to Jesus, how, how can they not know it's him? I mean, were they filled with too much doubt? And to their credit, as I mentioned a few moments ago, they witnessed his death on the cross. I mean, they saw him cry out. They heard him cry out. Then they saw him breathe his last breath, hang his head, and that was it, motionless. He had nothing left. Short time later, Joseph of Arimathea peeled the dead body off of the cross, dead body of Jesus, laid him in the tomb. They rolled this huge stone in front of the tomb, a, a stone that was not supposed to be moved ever. And they've, they've got this picture going on in their minds. And when they saw Jesus, did they, did they sense it was him? Did they think, you know, it has to be him? He behaves like Jesus, looks like Jesus, acts like Jesus, talks like Jesus. In their heart of hearts, did they, did they think maybe it's him, but their minds betrayed them. Their humanity said, hey, our eyes just saw him die, and we, we know he's dead, and people don't come back from the dead. I mean, what was it? Were they overcome with fear? Was, was that part of it? 
I mean, did the idea or the realization that they might be arrested and killed as well, did that come into play? After all, Simon Peter, he denied that he knew Jesus. And he lied about it on three different occasions because of fear. This is Peter, who just a short time earlier responded to Jesus when he said, all of you guys are going to leave me. And Simon Peter, remember what he said? Even if everyone bails on you, you can count on me to stay there to the very end. And if fear can take a hold or, or grab hold of a tough guy like Peter, how much more can it influence us? So yes, I think that all of these explanations, all of these reasons were factored into the mix, but I also believe that there was one other element that triggered the identity crisis. And it was a powerful contributor. And now I'm talking about guilt. Guilt, and right alongside of guilt, is guilt's cousin, condemnation. When I read this story, when I piece it all together, I am firmly convinced that tremendous guilt and condemnation hit the disciples right between the eyes because not only did they abandon Jesus when he needed them most, but following his death on the cross, they all went into hiding. They just dropped out. They, they, they completely bailed on everything that they said that they were fully committed to do. And it's just human nature to feel guilty when something tragic happens. How many of you know that? Something goes wrong and we all look inside and say, you know, what, how could we have you know, done something to, to prevent that from happening? Even when we're not at fault, when we have nothing to do with the situation, still we feel a little guilty inside, inside. And for these two disciples on the Emmaus Road, I'm convinced they were consumed with guilt. Because even though they were demoralized and deflated spiritually, still they knew deep down inside that running away from it all was not the answer. In fact, avoidance and denial and escape is never a reasonable solution for any problems. Learned that one yet? You see, when the devil plays the guilt card, which I believe he did, it opens the door to a whole slew of negative un and unhealthy emotions, including hopelessness and despair. That's usually what follows guilt and condemnation. And that's precisely what was happening here. These two disciples were hopeless. And how do I know that? Because we get some clues in the Gospel of Luke in this story that I'm referencing. The two disciples, as they're walking along, talking about Jesus, they said, we had hope. We don't have it now, but we did. We had hoped Jesus was the answer. We had hoped he was going to rescue us. We hoped he was the one who was going to change everything and make it better. 
Now the hope we have, it's completely vanished. We thought we were right, but we're wrong. We were dead wrong. See, their hope and their faith was replaced with doubt and fear and unrelenting remorse. So much so that when Jesus joined their group, they didn't know it was him. I mean, you got to picture this, walking and talking with Jesus, and yet their eyes are blinded, their hearts are hardened, and they didn't recognize Jesus. How is that possible? I cannot get past the story. How does that, something like that happen? Well, it happens all the time, even today with good Christian people, and I'm talking fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Just like these two disciples, many, many good Christian people today allow their humanity to prevent them from acknowledging, experiencing, and knowing God's presence. And I'm going to say that again. We allow our humanity to keep us from recognizing God's presence. And one of the greatest blinders is guilt. Guilt and condemnation working together in tandem. You see, we listen to the persistent and unending accusations of the enemy, and we allow him to bully us and push us around. And here's the kicker. In this regard, the devil's usually right. Even though he has a tendency to exaggerate, when he accuses us of sin and disobedience and doing things that are not pleasing in God's sight, how many of you know he has a point? It's usually valid. Because even with our redemption and our salvation and our regeneration, if we're honest, we still have the capacity to do some pretty dark things. Am I right? You know I'm right. And yet God made provision for all of that. He made provision for sin, for every sin, regardless of how dark and shady it is. His name is Jesus. We've been singing about him all morning. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, our sins, our faults, our failures, our shortcomings, they do not define us. There's a passage of scripture that I have shared with you countless times. I'd say a million. It's a slight exaggeration. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation. How much condemnation? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No guilt, no shame. The key for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, what? In Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. It set me free. That means when the devil makes a beeline to the throne of God and he taps God on the shoulder and says, hey God, did you see what your boy Tony just did? Did you see how upset and impatient and arrogant he got? God will respond to you, yeah, I saw it. How could I miss it? It's pretty ugly. But then God will say, Did you see what happened next? And how he repented. And how he asked forgiveness. And how he was sorry. And everything he did was very sincere. And he meant every word of it. You see, the devil, 
he can accuse us because he knows some phrases in the Bible, but he purposely and intentionally undermines some pretty powerful verses of Scripture, verses like 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive our sins and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness means all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. So when God forgives our sins, when God cleanses us of our sins and he wipes the slate clean, he includes the guilt. Did you hear me? When he forgives us of our sins, he includes the guilt and the condemnation and the remorse. Listen to what David said in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David said I was like crushed. I couldn't stand it. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. Yes. And not only did you forgive me, forgive all my sins, but all my guilt is gone. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? <laughs> David says you forgave all my sins and all my guilt is gone. Two things, two separate things. How many of you believe that God forgives sins? You should because we just read it in Psalm 32 and it's plastered throughout the Bible. God forgives our sins. He's faithful to do that. If you believe that God forgives our sins, let me appeal to you and ask you to also believe he removes our guilt. He takes our guilt with it. All of those insecure feelings that we hold on to because of past mistakes, he takes those with your sin. The scripture is very clear. We don't have to act like the sin is gone because we know God has removed it, but still hold on to the guilt. Okay, one last verse and then we'll move on to the baptism. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him in the presence of God where we recognize him, where we know it's God, where we acknowledge that it's God. Let us go right into his presence for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Did you pick up on the cleansing agent? It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And over and over again, we're reminded in the scripture in various ways, and we've even sing, sung songs about it. The blood, it never loses its power. It, he removes our sins. He takes away our guilt. Can I get you to bow your heads for just a moment as we prepare for water baptism? And give me, just give me a minute here, please. I'm convinced, in fact, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this room right now, people that are watching me or listening to me, you're carrying some doubt, you're, you're carrying some guilt, you're carrying some fear, you're carrying some condemnation. 
And out of all those things that I just mentioned, the one that I think trips us up as believers more than anything else is the guilt and condemnation. We just can't get past some of the things we've done. We think to ourselves, how could we do that? How did we allow that to happen? And I know that many of you have failed to recognize the loving and powerful presence of God because your eyes have been blinded by your own guilt, the accusations of the enemy. Just like these two disciples walking along the Emmaus Road, oftentimes God has joined your life. God has come right to where you are, and you haven't recognized him because your heart is loaded down with all this guilt. Can I just appeal to you today? And remind you on the authority of God's word, he forgives sins, he takes away our guilt. You know, some of you have been probably coming to this church for a while now, maybe a few years. You've heard us announce water baptism year after year. We do it a couple times during the year. And in your heart, you want to say, I'd love to get water baptized, but what does your mind say? Oh, you can't. If they only knew what you did two years ago, if they only knew what you did two minutes ago, and we just don't get to the place where we need to be because we listen to the accusations of the enemy. Stop allowing him to bully you. You know, when we make mistakes, there's a pattern to follow. There's a process. We have to repent. We have to be legitimate, not just remorseful, but Lord, give me the grace to not repeat that. But then we move on. Like David said, he removed my sins He's taken away my sin, and my guilt is gone. Father, I pray for every person in this place, even for those, Lord, who might want to take that step today, not scheduled to be baptized, but still would say, you know what, I'm free. I want to be free. I'm free of my guilt. I'm free of my condemnation. I want to go after God. I want to recognize his presence. I want to know he's with me. Lord, I pray. I pray you would do something that only you can do, Unique by the power of your spirit. Do it today, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's welcome Dave uh, Cummings as he's going to come. Pastor Dave, he's going to lead us in our water baptism time.